Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. All right, everyone, if I could have your attention up here, please. If we can return back to our seats. I hope that was a great time of sharing uh, dreams that you had when you were young. I, I can tell that some of you, you know, had a good time sharing some of that. All right, if you take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. I've shared it before that uh, I had different dreams growing up. One dream I had was to be the lead singer of Journey when I was young. In the shower, I would sing, Don't Stop Believing." I didn't, I, I didn't have a good voice, but I had that desire and that dream. So when I saw an Asian actually become the lead singer of Journey, I was so jealous, right? I was like, wow, how can he do But I, I, you know, that was just kind of a dream that I had. But I'm sure that all of you had specific dreams um, to share. Let me ask you this question, and this is where I want to start out. Have you ever wondered how you would turn out in the future? Have you ever wondered what you would be like at the end of your life? You know, I had the opportunity to attend some graduations and just to see high school students, college students uh, prepare themselves to go on to their next phase of life just really made me happy. But you know, anytime I go to a graduation, I'm always thinking, what are they going to be like in the future? And you know, I, that started making me think even of this church. You know, we have so many, uh, pretty much everybody is younger than me, right? I mean, to, for an exception, maybe, you know, one or two families. But everyone is younger than me. And so you guys are a young group of people. And so I always thought about, and I'm going to embarrass some of you, sorry. I started thinking about, like, what would the future hold for these people? Like, I would ask, who is Daniela Carmona going to marry? You know? She's such a godly, such a wonderful young lady. I really, really just adore her. And I'm just wondering, what's she, who's she going to marry? What's he going to be like, right? Is he going to be good enough for her, right? You know? I wonder about that. Or how many children will Landon and Margaret have, you know? They're just such a wonderful, wonderful couple. And I think they would just be wonderful parents. How many kids are they going to have? Four, five, you know, six? Who knows, right? Uh, what will the Eggert son, Declan, and they're not here so we can talk about them, right? What's their son going to look like, right? Jonathan is 6'5". Is, is his son going to be taller? Is, he, is his son going to, you know, what's he going to be like? What's he going to look like? Or what will Pastor Kevin look like in 30 years? How much weight is he going to gain, you know? You might say, well, no, Kevin will always stay the way he is. But 30 years ago, I kind of looked like Kevin and, you know, <laughs> that happens, right? It happens. Or will Irwin get a PhD in theology, right? Is he going to be that professor, missionary extraordinaire that we all know that he's capable of being? Or is God going to call him to something you know, else in ministry? 
You know, we wonder about the future. And, you know, even in our lives, we have to ask, how will you turn out at the end? Will you age gracefully or will you look weird and funny, right? Are you going to be wise or are you going to be some blabbering fool? Will you be loved and admired because of the life that you led or will you be hardly remembered? Are you going to be spiritually mature or are you going to, at the end, find yourself weak and apathetic and even bitter? Will you be successful in God's eyes or will you be some cautionary tale that is told? Are you going to look back on a happy, satisfied uh, life or will you realize an empty, wasted experience? Like I said, we have a young church, an energetic group of, 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 of people, of married people, of singles that are moving forward in their life. And if I can say it this way, they're even kind of starting out, right? Well, starting well can be very easy. All of us have experienced at one time or another starting something, whether it's a diet or a discipline or a program. All of us have started something. But the question is, did you finish well? How did that go, right? Because finishing well is not easy. One of my closest friends and one of my spiritual accountability partners have said this to me time and time again, and it's become very much a platitude, but a very profound platitude, and that is the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon, right? The Christian life is living every day is a marathon, living faithfully in what we've called. So let me ask you, do you have that marathon mindset? Finishing what you started actually means everything. And we're going to look at it in the life of Joseph. Now, forgive me, today I'm not going to do so much an expositional message as I am going to try to tie certain things together when we talk about perspective. And so this will be topical and textual, uh, not so much expositional. So I'm going to jump here and there, but I'm going to try to keep us tethered uh, so we can keep track. But let me give you a summary. In Genesis chapter 50, we come to the end of Joseph's life. Let me give you a summary of this man. You know, Erwin, Kevin did a great job, you know, in this uh, mini-series that we've been doing. In chapter 37, this young boy has the divine dream of destiny that God will use him greatly. Now, his brothers hate him. They are jealous of him. So they want to kill him. And they get their opportunity at Dothan. They take him and they strip him of all his clothes and they throw him into a pit. And as they plan to kill him, a group of Ishmaelite slave traders come through the area and Judah has a wonderful idea. He thinks, let's not kill him. We can't get anything for him. Let's go ahead and let's sell him to these slave traders. So that's what they do. And these slave traders go into Egypt and they sell Joseph to Potiphar one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. Now, the Bible says that God's hand is on him, and he flourishes as a talented, capable household manager. But not only does Potiphar take notice of him, Potiphar's wife also notices him and desires to have an intimate sexual relationship with him. But we know that Joseph refuses, and she frames him, and he is then thrown into prison. He languishes for two years in prison, until Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh knows that it's a, dr a dream divinely given by God, but nobody really can interpret it except for this person in prison named Joseph who interprets the dream as a famine that is going to come into the land. Pharaoh knows it's of God, so Pharaoh makes him the vizier. He becomes 
from prison to prime minister, the greatest power man in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And here Joseph sets up a national system to conserve, conserve grain and food in Egypt. Well, the famine hits hard in the land, and all the ancient Near East goes to Egypt to buy grain because that's the only place there's food. And Joseph's brothers, remember the same brothers who sold him into slavery because they hated him, came to buy grain because of this devastating famine in the ancient Near East so that he could, they, they could feed uh, their family. And they come face to face with Joseph. Erwin did a great job with this, but they don't recognize him. And so he finally does, after a series of tests, reveal that he's indeed their long-lost brother, Joseph. And just like in the dream, they all bow to him. That was the dream of destiny, right? He forgives them and provides for them and his whole extended family in the midst of this brutal famine. So what am I saying? I'm saying that Joseph lives out this divine dream of destiny. He lives an amazing life that is faithful to the Lord and is honorable to those around him. He so impacts and influences the world that the Egyptians give him the name Zephanath Paneah, which means God lives and God speaks. Imagine having a name that you so influenced the area around you that you said, well, that guy is a testament to God living and God speaking. Joseph indeed fulfills the will of God in his life. <coughs> but that's not the end of the story. We want to look at the text for today in Genesis chapter 50. <coughs> we'll begin reading in verse 15. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And, those, and then, so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his family, and he lived 110 years. You see, Joseph finished well. We want to, at the, uh, we want to end our study of Joseph gaining some perspective on how to finish well in our lives. Verse 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, as Christians, this is the kind of perspective that we want. That Joseph could say at the end of his life, you meant to harm me. All the problems, all the human sins, all the tragedies, you meant to harm me. But God intended it for good. All of it was for God's purposes. You see, this is the kind of perspective that will allow us to finish well. And that's what we want to do. We want to study two biblical principles that will help us to do this in our Christian lives. And so the first principle to finishing well, and if you're taking notes, write this down, is recognizing it's not about history, it's about destiny. 
It's not about history, it's about destiny. What do I mean by history? Well, we are so focused on what has happened in our lives. We become so preoccupied with what has been done to us. We become consumed with what we've accomplished. That is what I mean by our history. But can I tell you that God isn't concerned with our history so much as he's interested in our destiny. Let me say that again. God is not so much concerned with our history than being interested in our destiny. Are we becoming all that God has destined us to be? You see, when it's all said and done, it's not what has happened in life that is important. It is rather what you became in life that really matters. Can I get an amen? It is not what has happened in your life that's important. No, it's what you became in life that really matters. And God evaluates us on what we're becoming, our destiny. In verses 15 through 19, the brothers are afraid that Joseph will pull a Godfather 2, all right? If you're a film buff, you know that Godfathers 1 and 2 are the greatest movies of all time. Am I right? Great movie. And in Godfather 2, Marco, Mar, um, Michael Corleone, the crime boss of the Corleone family, right, forgives Fredo, his older brother, for betraying him. But as soon as his mother dies, he takes a hit out on Fredo, right? That's exactly what the brothers are afraid of. Now that Jacob, their dad, is dead, will Joseph get revenge on them? And how he, will he do it? And they're convinced that he's going to do this. So they send a message, actually a lie to Joseph, that says, you know, dad's last will and testament was that you don't murder us as your brothers. And don't take revenge on us. And that's what he wants, right? And how does Joseph respond? The Bible says he responds by weeping. Why does he weep? It's because they're still afraid of him. <clears throat> it's because they still don't understand the perspective of life. That it's not what has happened in life that matters. It's what God has done through those trials, those storms, and those valleys. Christian, let me ask you this question. What is your history this morning? Has someone done something to hurt you? Has a past situation scarred your life? Is there something going on right now that has left you feeling bitter and resentful and discouraged? Is there something in your history that is keeping you from moving forward in your Christian existence? Maybe you need to learn this principle. It's not about history, what has happened in life. It's all about destiny. It's be about what you're becoming in life. What did Joseph become? Well, in Genesis chapter 49, let's take a look at it. <clears throat> Jacob gives blessings and gives <clears throat> gives. Uh, different uh, exposition to all of his sons. And in Genesis 49, he gives a blessing to Joseph. In verse 22, it says this, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady, his arms strong and limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, the shepherd the rock of Israel. Here, his father, Jacob, describes him as a fruitful vine, and every arrow the enemy shot at him was shot 
to destroy him. The arrow of hatred, the arrow of lust, the arrow of lies and slander, the arrow of doubt, the arrow of depression, all of it was meant to destroy him. But the Bible says his arm stayed strong. What was that? It was his character. The mighty one, the shepherd, the rock, sent him into those trials to produce something in his character. And Joseph's character was that it was because of the trials that he went through. I have shared this particular parable a hundred times with you guys, and I'm going to share it again. So please, don't hate me for sharing this, but it's one of my favorite ones, okay? It's a Chinese parable written by a Chinese pastor who endured years of persecution in a communist prison. And I believe it's so profound. It always kind of chokes me up. Let me read it. There was a man who was asleep one night in his house when suddenly his room was filled with light. Jesus the Savior appeared and told this man that he had work for him to do. The Savior showed him a huge rock in front of his house and explained that the man was to push against the rock with all his might. The man obeyed. Day after day for many years, the man toiled from sunrise to sunset. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock. Pushing with all of his might, each night the man returned to his room very tired, very sore, and worn out. After a time, he started feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. And then Satan appeared, perceiving that the man was showing signs of discouragement, and he began to put thoughts in the man's mind. You have been pushing against this massive rock for a long time, and it hasn't even moved in the slightest. Why kill yourself over this? You are never going to move this rock. Feeling like a complete failure, these thoughts discouraged and demoralized the man even more. Why must I kill myself over this stupid rock, Lord, he said. I have labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength into doing what you've asked. Yet after all this time, I have not even been able to move this rock even a millimeter. What have I done? Why am I failing? Why has this happened to me? To this the Lord compassionately responded, My son, when I called you into ministry and you agreed, I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your strength. But never once did I mention that I expected you to move this rock. Your task was to push against it. And now you come to me, your strength spent, thinking you have failed. But is this really so? Behold, look at yourself and see. Your arms are muscled. Your back is strong. Your hands are calloused from constant pressure. Your legs are massive and powerful. Through opposition, you have gained much, and your power now surpasses what you used to have. You are the greater man. You have not moved the rock, but your calling was to be obedient and to exercise your faith. Your calling was to trust me and obey. This is what you have done, so now, my son, I will move your rock. Isn't that beautiful? What is God's intent for our lives? Muscled arms, strong backs, massive legs, becoming the greater person. You know, the New Testament equivalent to Genesis 50, 20, our text, is Romans 8, 28, and 29. And this is what it says. We all know this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. The idea of destiny. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. 
What is God's destiny for you and I to become more and more like Jesus in every way? To become literally the greater person, to be Christ-like. And I want you to look at how God predestines this in the life of Joseph. Here is the destiny here. Number one, Joseph becomes godly. I'm going <clears> to <throat> look at some of the passages that we studied uh, when we were looking at this series. In Genesis 39 and verse 8, it says, but Joseph refused. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he refused to go to bed with her. This was a beautiful woman who wanted to have sex with him. And his faith was tested, wasn't it? But the Bible says he refused. He had victory over the temptation of adultery. You know, James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you <clears throat> so that you be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, character is not established until it is tested. And here we see that Joseph is tested, and he comes out with godly character. Not only that, but Joseph also becomes a servant. In Genesis 39 and verse 4, Joseph found favor and became his or Potiphar's attendant servant. In Genesis 40 and verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended or served them. When you study the life of Joseph, you see in his entire story that he is serving he serves Jacob, his father, in his job as a shepherd. He serves Potiphar as the house manager. He serves the captain of the guard, even in prison, to administrate what he wanted. And it's interesting, even when he finally is given the role of vizier of Egypt, it's a public servant role. He's overseeing the storage of grain against the coming famine. Joseph is serving Pharaoh and the Egyptian nation. What does that tell us? That God developed his character as a servant, producing a servant's heart for his ultimate role as the prime servant of Egypt. You might say, why is that important? Well, in Philippians 2, verses 5, it says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. You see, Christ-likeness is a servant attitude. Conforming to Christ's character is being a servant. Do you see that? Joseph becomes Christ-like in being a servant. Not only does Joseph become godly, not only does Joseph become a servant, but let's look at another one. Joseph becomes broken. And this is a truth that many of us were allergic to. Because brokenness is the condition of being completely humbled before the Lord and the result is being completely dependent on God. And can I share with you that Joseph's whole life was characterized by brokenness. The brothers hated him. They sold him as a slave. Potiphar's wife slanders him and lies about him. And he's thrown into prison. He has been through pits and prison. He has been forsaken and forgotten. I'm sure those troubles, those tears, and those trials were very, very real in the life of Joseph. But do you know why God allowed these things? Because God uses the brokenness of our past history to produce our future destiny. Can I get an amen? That is profound. God uses the brokenness of our past history to produce our future destiny. You see, it builds character. 
The character of tenderheartedness to the things of God. The character of submissiveness to the will of God. The character of surrender to the plan of God. The character of sensitivity to the spirit of God. And you don't develop brokenness in the sunshine, do you? You don't produce brokenness on the mountaintops. When, you're, when you have favor resting upon you, when you have abundance raining down on you, there's more of a temptation to forget God during those times. So God allows brokenness, and it's developed in the storms of life, and it's produced in the valley experiences. That is where your dependence on God grows and matures. Every pastor has given this illustration, and if you've heard it, forgive me, but I love it. Uh, when you have a wayward, immature, disobedient lamb, and it's running all around and won't listen to the shepherd, sometimes what the shepherd will do is it will take that lamb and it will break its leg on purpose. So cruel, right? Breaks its leg. And then he'll set the leg and he'll carry that lamb everywhere. And so that lamb understands that it can't do anything without the shepherd. And it grows a fondness to the shepherd. It grows a dependence on the shepherd. And so when its leg is fully healed, guess what? It doesn't run around and act disobediently anymore. Because it's tethered to the shepherd. That pain, as it were, right, brings that dependence. What has God allowed in your life? The hurts, the trials, the pain. Has that produced a dependent heart? You know, um, when God called me to ministry and I finished Bible college, if God were to have taken me up to a mountain at 20 years of age, and he were to have shown me everything that I'd have to face in ministry, if God were to take me up there and kind of show this is going to be your life, you're going to encounter racism and rejection, you're going to go through three painful church splits, you're going to be involved in uh, being a pawn in some power plays, you're going to be slandered, your mentors that, love, that you love and respect are going to stab you in the back. If God were to have shown me all that at 21 years of age, I would have said, no, I want to be an actor right? I want to sing for Journey. I, I'm, I'm going to leave, right? But you know, God in his wisdom never does that, does he? He allows you to go through these things. And as he allows you to go through pain, he allows grace. And so that at the end of your life, right? I'm not at the end of my life, but at the end, you see that maybe you didn't want to go through those things, but it truly made you different, didn't it? It made you maybe kinder, it definitely made me more humble, right? I'm not humble, but I'm more humble, right? It made me more patient. It made me understand the truth of waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord. Those things I would have never have learned being a 21-year-old cocky, you know, uh, seminarian, like Bible college student, I would never have been that way. But this is the way that God brings us to dependence on him. It's brokenness. It's not the history of my life that's important. It's rather the destiny of what I'm becoming that really matters. The second principle we want to look at to finishing well is recognizing it's not about remembering. It's all about forgetting. Let me say that again. It's not about remembering. It's really about forgetting. There are things that we need to forget and the beauty of this story is that Joseph decided to forget. And at the end, it brought him blessing and satisfaction. 
Now, what does it mean to forget? Well, it's not amnesia. That's not what we're talking about. Because we can't physically forget the things that have been done to us in our lives. And I, I don't mean to be flippant. Some of you have been through some traumatic, you know, very difficult situations. And I understand that. And we can't physically forget those things that have happened in our lives. Joseph didn't have, have amnesia, right? He, he remembered very clearly the pit and the prison and the slander. He remembers it all. But this is what I think is important to understand. In Genesis chapter 41, if we could put it up, it says in verse 50, before the years of famine, this is when Joseph was now the vizier, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Azeneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. In verse 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. So Joseph decides to name his first son Manasseh, which means to forget. You see, forgetting is a decision that you and I make in our lives. You choose to have a Manasseh in your life. So forgetting is not the absence of memory. It's not, the, it, it's not having spiritual amnesia. No, forgetting is the ability to remember without feeling the bitterness, without feeling the anger, right? Resentment, bitterness, malice, they're toxic to the soul. And I'm sure you know and I know people who keep remembering what was done to them and how toxic their memories are, but they're not going to let it go. They're going to stew in it. They're going to keep it close to them. And it's so hurtful and toxic. You see, forgetting is truly forgiving and releasing what has been done to you. Can I ask you this morning, do you need a Manasseh in your life? What does it take to forget? Well, let me give you three things. Number one, spiritual poverty. In our text in verse 19, what does Joseph say to them? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Forgiveness starts when we realize that we're sinners too. When we realize as sinners that given the same situation, we could sin as grievously as the person who did something to us. We're no better in the sense that we're all fallen. And Joseph understood this. He's not in the place of God, right? He's not in the place where he can sit in judgment and condemn. Rather, he gives it to the Lord. Can I give you a New Testament counterpart to that? Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. He's the only one who has the authority to truly give out justice equitably. And we are not in that position. We are not the Lord. So number one, spiritual poverty. Number two, spiritual perspective. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. Forgiveness recognizes the sovereignty of God. And that was Joseph's theology. Did you know that? In his dream of destiny, he understood the sovereignty of God, that God has a transcendent, overarching purpose that cannot be frustrated by human deeds. Do you know... One of the greatest comforts I have to reading God's word is that it is from a perspective of God. It is seeing history through the eyes of God, right? When we turn on the television and watch the news, when we read history books, we see about this group doing this to this group, this person doing something to this person. We see all of the fallen failings of man, all the sinful, disgusting things that mankind can do to one another. And we think, wow, is there any recourse? Yes, there is. 
Because if we see things biblically through the eyes of God, we know that he has a plan. And my point is that Joseph was looking at life through the eyes of God, not through human perspective. Spiritual poverty, spiritual perspective, and then number three, spiritual payment. Verse 21, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Isn't that beautiful? Human payment is take vengeance upon those that have wronged us. Heavenly payment is mercy and grace. The New Testament equivalent is Romans 12.20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I remember the first time that I really learned how to use uh, Romans 12.20 was I was an RA in the dorms, and there was a particular room that caused me so much headache, right? I hated those guys, and they, they didn't like me either. And so I had to talk with uh, our dorm supervisor who was a Christian, and he was uh, my mentor. And you know what he told me? He said, you know what? At night, put your hand on their door, right, and pray for them. I'm like, what? No, pray for them. Pray for them every night. Pray for those guys by name. And you know what? Maybe, you know, in the next week or so, take them out to Waffle House, okay? You know, where I went to school, Waffle House was the thing. So take them out to eat, you know? Hang out with them. And you know, understanding to overcome evil with good, I did that. I spent time, and I prayed for them, and I took them out to Waffle House using my own money, right? And you know what's crazy is, and it doesn't happen in every instance, I know this, but we became close. Those guys became friends of mine because of the love and concern that I gave them. You see, don't overcome evil with evil. The Bible says we overcome evil with good. That might not happen all the time, okay? So if it doesn't happen, still be good, all right? That's very important. All right, so what happens if we decide not to forget? Well, in Genesis 41, 52, remember, two sons were born to Joseph. The first was Manasseh, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, this is a profound truth. I want you to notice something. The first son was Manasseh, which means forget. The second son was Ephraim, which means fruitful. You see, you cannot have an Ephraim without first having a Manasseh. You cannot be fruitful in your life without first forgetting and letting go. You must let go of the past in order to live fruitfully. And that's so important. Finishing well means that the principle of letting go helps us to live a fulfilling life. Spiritual healing, spiritual blessings come from deciding to forget the past and to forgive. So are you allowing God to be sovereign over your life? Can you let go of the bitterness and anger that you hold on to? The third point, for lack of time, we're not going to look at today. But those two points, be satisfied with those two points, okay? Those two points, let's live those out and let's finish well. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Joseph. Because Joseph is a picture of Christ, of Jesus. And we ask that as we live out the gospel of Jesus that we would learn to be men and women of the heart. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, 
I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.